buying behavior has changed. Prospects don't click on links and emails anymore, and they don't watch the videos you spend hours creating every week. Instead, send personalized gifts and memes using Vidyu. You can quickly create engaging, personalized content that immediately grabs your prospect's attention, helps you stand out in the inbox, and does it all without forcing them to click anything or go anywhere. Head over to vidyou.io slash salescast to sign up for free and spend less time getting your messages across and more time selling. In the world of sales, you either sink, swim, or break through to the next level. My name's Colin Mitchell, and this is Sales Transformation, a new kind of sales show designed to bring you through the epic, life-changing moments of elite sellers so you can experience your own sales transformation. All right, welcome to another episode of Sales Transformation. I am very excited today to have Jordana Zeldin on today. Jordana is a sales coach and founder of Spring Training and the co-founder of The Practice Lab, a new sales training community for sellers eager to develop their skills like athletes, musicians, and performers do theirs. Jordana, welcome to the show. Colin, thank you for having me again. Yes, absolutely. We've been meaning to make this happen. I know that you've been very busy doing important work. So here we are and <laughs> let's just jump right in because we had way too much fun before we hit record. So now um, we got to just jump right in. So let's do it. Just take us back for a moment of like, where did your sales story start? Yeah. So I never in a million years imagined that I would be a salesperson. I was in the art world. I was directing theater. I was mentoring emerging visual artists. And I kind of tripped and fell into B2B sales through an art technology company who had a very uh, ambitious mission of bringing the art world online. And they just needed people who could speak to our customers who were gallerists at the time. Mm. Um, I felt very weird about being in sales early on. I didn't really have any hard sales skills to speak of. Um, and a big part of me thought that in order to be a salesperson, I had to be somebody else. <laughs> so mm. uh, for the first year, I did fine. You know, my enthusiasm and warmth carried me, but um, I didn't feel really connected to who I was. And we had a very unseasoned team that didn't offer a lot in the way of support. Um, mosting our, most of our pitching, for example, would just happen in private phone booths. We didn't get to hear mm. each other. We didn't get to learn and develop together. Um, so the first year was tough. First year was tough. Um, things really changed when they brought in a really seasoned head of sales who I think helped in two key ways. You know, one is that he assured all of us that the people who we were are in fact the people who belong in our selling. We didn't have to pretend to be someone that we weren't put on a weird sale, salesy voice in order to do the job. Yeah. Um, but he also transformed the culture and he took us out of our phone booths and put us all in the sales pit so we could hear each other and screw up together and give each other feedback and everything really started to change there. Wow. Uh, I can't even picture like having to do your sales calls in a phone booth <laughs> like, <laughs> not one on like a new york city street corner but you know no. these startups have you know these fancy yeah. phone booths so it was it was all a very kind of private a private exercise yeah 
which yeah. meant that we were very much alone in trying to understand like what what we were doing well and and where to improve. So, uh, just curious, uh, what were what was what were people saying, or what were your own thoughts about like, okay, we've been doing it this way, uh, you know, privately. Now we're going to have to be vulnerable and have these calls in front of our peers. Don't mm-hmm. really know if I'm doing them right, if I'm good, I'm bad, or I'm indifferent. What were people saying, and how were you feeling about that? So a lot of people felt really uncomfortable, right? Because yeah. there is a pretty high level of vulnerability. And when you don't have any real sales skills, you're going to be making a lot of mistakes, right? But yeah. the sales leader made it a really comfortable place to mess up. And he'd offer feedback like out loud to us in the sales pit after we got off our calls, right? So we'd be able to hear him lovingly telling us how we can improve. And we all started as a result of... um you know, so much feedback just flying around throughout the day to listen to each other and to develop awarenesses of what one another were doing and to start to offer feedback ourselves. Mm. And that was actually in some ways where I caught the sales coaching bug because I got so much out of noticing what my peers were doing and working with them to try to improve. Yeah. And to grow. And I think that that's really where the origins in a way of my sales coaching career began. Yeah. So were people, I mean, it just, it totally flipped the old culture like upside down, right? Yeah. In, in, in every way. And even, you know, it's so interesting when we started out as a team, you know, we were selling into a pretty exclusive audience, right? Gallerists, very, very kind of elite and I think all of us felt a bit of a subservience to our prospects when we were talking to them on the phone. We didn't feel like we had any power and we didn't really feel like we had much control. And this sales leader, like he gave us permission to all but tell our prospects to F off <laughs> if, <laughs> if we needed to. I mean, he like, there was like a kind of like irreverence and a confidence that he instilled in us, which allowed us to feel like, no, like, we're the experts here. We deserve to be having these conversations with with these important people and can mm-hmm. indeed offer them value, right? So in a way, he he helped to flip the hierarchy on its head too, where we felt like we we were no longer subservient to our prospects, but rather on equal footing, which changed, of course, how we felt in our conversations as well. Yeah. I mean, confidence is so important in sales, right? And I think that a lot of people early on struggle with that right and and yeah. don't even don't even view like their prospects as equals well i think i mean think about it like being an sdr calling into the c suite that's yeah. hard you know i yeah, mean that, that yeah go ahead it, it is hard it is hard but the minute you can get over that right and just like hey i'm just calling another human that puts a their pants being. on the same way as me yeah. um to have a conversation then things can really change. But it takes a little bit of time to build that confidence. Absolutely. But when we had a leader like this one, like pushing us and encouraging us and allowing us to be our full selves on our conversations with these important people, that, I mean, that was transformative. So it was a combination of time and culture and leadership, not to mention the fact that because we were all learning together and practicing together and growing together, we became a much more skillful team. And I think under this leader's leadership, revenue grew by something crazy like 400%. 
Wow. That's yeah. big. It's powerful. By creating powerful. a safe place in the culture to make mistakes yes. and learn from each other. That, that That's exactly right. And, you know, what's interesting is that when I decided to become a sales coach full time and I moved on to my first sales coaching and training company called Sales Gym, that was there in spades too, mm. more explicitly kind of through the vehicle of practice. So this this training organization was a company that trained up its clients with a kind of athlete-inspired approach to practice, but we also trained up our own coaching skills that way as well, internally, as a team. Um, you know, I spent two weeks doing mock coaching sessions and role plays before they ever let me actually get in a room with any of our clients who were, you know, important clients from like the Fortune 100. But there was something incredible about mm. having had that experience of, of developing my own skills through practice, getting vulnerable, messing up, trying, getting feedback that made this place one of the most kind of rewarding and generative cultures I've ever been a part of. Yeah. I mean, you've been, you've been thinking about sales and practice and sort of like the sales athlete for, for quite some time now, right? Well, I think what's interesting is like, you know, to me, it's indisputable that practice builds skill, right? We know that from every other performance-based discipline. And I'm excited to do more of that, you know, with, with sales teams, both with spring training and also with the practice lab. But I think where I really kind of geek out, Colin, mm -hmm. is around some of this um, subtler cultural stuff where I see practice really moving the needle through mistake-making and vulnerability and you know, taking risks and, and experimenting and offering feedback, I've seen firsthand from my own experience, the impact that that has on culture. So, you know, a big part of my work, especially with teams now is not only giving them a foundational skill set that's rooted in their humanity, which feels really good for them, yeah. but also working with teams to develop these cultures of practice so that they not only can turn those skills into habit, but also create the kind of culture and container where people feel safe enough to learn, which makes these teams places where people want to stay and, of course, impacts you know really important key, key performance and revenue metrics as well. And why do you think m more sales organizations aren't providing a safe place for people to practice? Like, what are some of the reasons that more organizations haven't adopted this? Yeah, so I think there are a number of factors. One, historically, sales has not been considered to, to be an industry where you practice any time beyond your calls with prospects, right? It's, it's that yeah. kind of like, yeah, you, you know, you get your at-bats on the phone, you try, you fail over years, you figure it out, you know? Um, so I think that's a kind of broader like sales cultural issue. Um, but I also think that a lot of sales managers not only don't have the time to coach period, but don't necessarily know what it means to be a practice coach, which is different from the kind of coaching that, you know, training that a lot of managers get, which is question-based and exploratory and reflective, yeah. which is transformative coaching. But when you're talking about developing skill, that's not the most effective way to do it. It's practice coaching. And I don't know that many people out there, managers or otherwise, who really have that skill set. Yeah. I, I remember I even... Um, 
I can't remember what exactly the context was, but I posted something about um, referencing, you know, like a sales athlete, like, you know, that they need to practice and they need to take care of themselves and get proper sleep and all this. Yeah. And it was not a popular opinion. I got a lot of crap for it where people thought it was ridiculous to compare salespeople to athletes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, I think part of it is that, you know, maybe the athlete metaphor connects to like the old boys, boys club of, of, you know, sales. So sometimes people are turned off from that. But again, I'm not sure that people think about communication skills, right? Human communication skills as a skill set that can be practiced. But I just wholeheartedly disagree and have seen firsthand uh, how beneficial developing a practice a practice can be. And, and you, you guys have, you know, you and, and John have sort of figured out some ways to practice these skills that aren't directly just on real live sales calls, right? So tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. So what's interesting about the practice lab is that this is a space for sellers to get their at-bats in working and practicing very specific core sales skills that you know, have the potential when executed well to have a big impact, not only on how selling feels, right, both for the seller and the prospect, but also the, the results that sellers are able to get. Mm. And what we've done is we've taken our cues from uh, books on like the science of behavioral change and neurological development. Like there's an incredible book called The Talent Code, um, which really breaks down how some of the most um, kind of talented and successful athletes and musicians from these pockets all over the world have developed their skills. And it's usually not just through repetition, but through what they call a kind of deep practice or deeper deliberate practice. And that practice happens right at the edge of your current abilities, where you don't feel comfortable, mm. where it's awkward, where you're stumbling where you're having to double back and make corrections. But what's amazing is that when you can get as an athlete, a musician, as a seller into a state of deep practice, the impact on what's happening neurologically in terms of like the matter in your brain is pretty profound. And in a state of deep practice, your neurological circuitry is uh, getting more insulation that's wrapping around it to help your circuitry fire more quickly. And faster firing, firing circuitry is is like the tangible version of skill, right? So what we do in the practice lab is we break uh, uh, kind of the sales process down into these key micro behaviors yeah. that a seller can do in the sales process and deliberately create exercise to keep them exercises to keep them right at the edge of their abilities so that and they're developing those skills. Yeah. And so give me a few examples of like some of the skills that can be practiced in the practice lab. Yeah, such such a great question. So um, one of them, a really powerful skill that not a lot of sellers do, I find, is what we call micro summaries and macro mm. summaries. And what that skill is, is when you are in discovery with a prospect or really when you're just out in the world as a human being having conversations, it can be a really valuable thing periodically to play back what you are hearing from them. Yeah. Both to confirm understanding, but also to give the person that you're speaking to the experience of feeling seen and heard and understood, right? 
which is one of the most profound human experiences that we can have. And it does wonders for lowering prospect resistance and increasing trust. So in the practice lab, you know, we have an exercise where, you know, we're having a conversation with our partners. And for the first round, it's our job to summarize almost everything that we're hearing as they go, just to, to like extend that muscle, exaggerate that muscle to its max, right? Just to get into that habit. And then as the exercise progresses, of course, the amount of summarizing that we're doing becomes more natural and gets less frequent. But what we're then doing is teeing up something called a macro summary, which is a kind of big picture summation of what you heard that you can then use to pivot into how you're going to talk about your product or service. Wow. So that's that's just one example of like a specific skill set that can have a big impact on your understanding of your prospect and how they feel in the interaction. Yeah, and I mean just th- just those skills alone, I know a lot of sellers have a hard time with, but what you're also doing there too is flexing your active, you know, listening muscle we as go. well, which is one of the things that I think a lot of sellers could use a lot of practice on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, cause I get pitched a lot too. And I love just kind of, you know, just sort of, um, examining how people do and in, in the process and, you know, sellers tend to get nervous, um, or they're already have their talk track figured out in their head, or they have sort of, you know, prospect says this, I'm going to say that sort of yes. mapped out. Um, and when all of that's going on, you're not fully present. You're not fully listening to what your prospect's saying. You're not fully processing what they're saying. And a lot of sellers can also get uncomfortable with like silence. And, you know, even just telling your prospects, like before you respond, like, let me process that for a second. Right. Right. Um, and, and these are all super, super valuable skills that are relevant throughout the whole sales process. I mean, the listening piece is huge. You know, we focus so much, like you say, on our talk tracks, like what we're going to say. But another thing we need to consider as sellers is like, how are we going to be with our prospects? And how is that way of being going to make them feel? Yeah. And when someone feels not listened to, not heard, the amount that they're willing to disclose drops. And then the entire conversation suffers, right? There's less trust. There's more resistance. You get less information. You're not able to sell as effectively. So you really, really hit on a a really important skill that gets a lot of airtime in the lab. Yeah. And if you even think about it from the seller's perspective too, um, not being able to just be themselves and conversations and people are just too dynamic to have sort of every play or conversation mapped out. Yeah. they end up being, you know, kind of forced to say things that they're told they should say. Um, and you know, makes them less confident, less comfortable, and really just is a recipe for disaster. Yeah. I think once you leave yourself, like if you're not with yourself and you're selling, your prospect is going to feel it. You're going to feel it. You're not going to be as agile. The skills that you've learned mm-hmm. aren't going to be as readily accessible to you. And you're going to deprive both you, your prospect, and your selling of that vital human connection that is required to be really effective and impactful in this role. Right on, Colin. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's a great example. I, I, I love that. Um, give me another one. 
Okay, objection handling, for example. What do you think, Colin, yeah. when most sellers receive an objection, what is their response? Well, I'll, I'll push back a little bit because yeah. I don't like to view them as objections. Okay. I like to view them as questions. Great. Right? So an objection or question, whatever you want to call it, yep. is an opportunity to, to have a conversation, to explain something better. So typically sellers, when they hear an objection and they have that sort of mindset in it, um, they're sort of defensive to like yeah. defend whatever their prospect is saying. That's right. probably the most common way that a seller responds to an objection. Right on, right? So a prospect objects, a seller rebuts, right? That's that's yeah. the, the pattern. That's right? what we've been taught, right? That's, that's what we've been taught. Yeah. So what do you think, Colin, that does to your prospects' trust and openness to having their perspective changed at the moment you kind of counterpunch? They're gonna they're they're gonna rebut right back, right? There so we it's go. kind of like we're gonna then we're gonna butt heads, right? And it's like who's gonna win? And then it's just a can be like a like an ego contest, right? There we go. <laughs> so that is a behavior that is ingrained in us as sellers that we yeah. wanna change. So when I, we yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, even when I first got started in sales and even when I first had a team, like we had all of our objections, all of our rebuttals. We needed to learn them. We needed to know them. And that's how we sold. Yep. That's well, what we were taught. That's how so many people still do it today. Well, that's the thing. And when you think about it, like resistance tends to be quite high at the moment of objection from a prospect. Receptivity tends to be a little lower. So the goal with a great kind of process that you take your prospect through is to increase their receptivity and lower their resistance. And it's not going to be mm. through arguing back, right? So a simple micro behavior that we teach and practice in the lab is to welcome the objection, to express yeah. genuine appreciation and gratitude. That really glad you brought that up. Thanks so much for being straight with me. And then to ask a question <laughs> to create deeper understanding, right? Because yeah. sometimes you'll get an objection. Maybe it's around timing or price or whatever it is. And you take that at face value and then you're like responding down like the pricing path. When really, if you ask a question to better understand my, what might be going on, and maybe it's more than one question, often it is more will be revealed that will allow you to more effectively uh, respond and share some ideas when it is time. So what we're trying to do in our kind of objection handling week, and I agree, you know, they're questions mm -hmm. or concerns, is to interrupt that pattern of argument and rebuttal, encourage sellers to express genuine gratitude. It's way better to get an objection than to be ghosted, right? Because then you have really nothing to work with. Express genuine gratitude and then get curious. And that's yeah. that micro behavior. Welcome curiosity. Welcome ask a question. Wow, wow. Um, and so that's that's a toughie, I think, for for a lot of people, right? Because it's 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 retraining sort of a an old way of thinking and an old behavior. That's right. right. And the only way to do that is through guess what? Hmm. Lots of practice. Yeah. And look, one hour in the practice lab is not going to change the behavior, right? And then of yeah. course, there's open lab the following week where you have an hour to get some more practice in, but, but then you've got to be doing it on your own, getting in your reps. And yes, trying it out on your prospects, right? And seeing how it feels, knowing that you have laid the foundation and kind of primed the well 
in the lab, if you're in the practice lab, or even if you're in front of your mirror, if you're not a seller in the lab, right, to try that on for size, to have a sense of what it might feel like to approach this differently. Yeah. I'm going to ask a question I think a lot of people are probably thinking at this point, right? What like, is it? Um, like how often should a sales rep be practicing and do they ever stop practicing? Mm. You know, it's interesting. It's like, did Michael Jordan stop <laughs> stop practicing yeah. at like the height of, of his career? I mean, just this idea in our industry that you become so good that you yeah. no longer need to practice and continue to pay attention to your craft is just incompatible with what every other performance-based discipline knows, you know, as they continue to grow in their careers, even the top 1%. So even for, even for leaders, like, absolutely, you know, leaders need to stop thinking that they know all the answers and that they have nothing to learn. You know, like I, I want to see sales leaders in the practice lab with their team. Well, you know, it's interesting. There was a, a series of posts a couple weeks ago on LinkedIn asking the question, like, should sales leaders make cold calls? And I said, yes. And I said, yes. But what <laughs> was so did, interesting absolutely. is that, that, that people read that as like, oh no, cold calling is not a high value activity. Therefore, sales <laughs> leaders should be spending time on bigger business problems. Yeah. But how can you coach on cold calls if you haven't made a cold call in this decade? Well, not yes. <laughs> and, <laughs> right? and there is a way, way more powerful signal that you can send to your team if you're a leader hopping into the trenches that has nothing to do with how effective you are in your calls. You can be a sales leader and suck at cold calling, and that does not mean you are an ineffective leader. But it shows back to this vulnerability piece that you're willing to get vulnerable, that you're willing to muck in, that you're willing to ask your reports for feedback on how yeah. you can improve. Do you know how powerful that is and how transformative that can be for a team, Colin? Oh, it's big for a number of reasons. I mean, the number one reason I think is because just showing that vulnerability as a leader shows that it's okay to be vulnerable to the team. Yes. Let me tell you a, like a little story. So when I was training up at Sales Gym, like I said, I spent two weeks mock coaching and practice coaching before they would you know, let me take on any clients. And yeah. a big part of how we trained was doing lightning rounds with our team, you know, with our coaching squad, um, either practicing skills that we were teaching our clients or practicing our coaching skills. And I remember, Colin, how utterly terrified I was to show up for the first mm. lightning round because the founder of the company was going to be there. Right. And I felt like I was very much being tested. But what was so interesting is that the founder of the company practiced too. And not only did he practice, but he made mistakes mm. and asked for feedback. And that signaled to all of us on the team that this was a place where we could mess up and learn and grow yeah. together too. And the impact there was, I mean, yeah, it was transformative. Yeah. Well, this is awesome. Everybody needs to sign up for practice lab, even sales leaders. There you go. Wait, you sales it. leaders are, so Colin, sales leaders are not allowed into the practice oh. lab. Oh, well, I there know. needs to be <laughs> a separate lab Leader, sales, for leaders. I agree. I agree. Well, that, that maybe that's maybe down I the can pipe. twist your arm to change your mind. Well, part of it, look, part of it is that we really do want this to be a, a place for reps and peers to be learning but from one another. That's part of it. So that's part of a bigger problem. Right? Well, you're, well, you're, is you're, is sales leaders should be able to be allowed in practice lab and it still be a safe place. I could not agree more. I don't know if we're there yet. Yeah. Unfortunately, we're not there yet. But 
I would say that's a good goal, right? Yeah, I think when when that's when when there's a, when there is a day when leaders can hop into a practice space with sellers and for there to be excitement rather than fear, we know that the industry has gotten to where it needs to be. I think for certain leaders, it would be appropriate, but there would have to be some very thorough vetting process. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, because I there are so. some leaders that are you know a lot of times I can get so caught up in talking about you know what you know, how things are being done wrong, but there are a lot of people that are doing things right. Um, and you know, maybe not as many as, as we would like to see, but yeah. I would love to see a place where leaders and individual contributors could both go to practice lab and it be a comfortable, safe place. I love that idea. Let's make it so. All right. So leaders, you cannot sign up today, but you should be sending <laughs> your team. And if you're a leader that you think, uh, should be in the practice lab, then I don't know, maybe, maybe, uh, there'll be a separate lab for leaders one day. But write me if you're a leader and you're interested, write, write us directly at the practice lab sales at gmail.com. And the more leaders raise their hand and say, this is something that they want to do, the more possible it will be for us to create an offering for you. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. All right. So where can people find out about practice lab? Okay. The practice lab.co yeah. is our website can read all about it apply for the q1 cohort uh we're also on linkedin as well yeah and don't wait because uh they've already gotten a lot of applications and you don't want to miss this opportunity trust me so practice lab.co we'll put the link in the show notes for you hurry up before it fills up jordana thanks so much for coming on today really enjoyed this conversation if you enjoyed today's episode, please write us a review, share the show with your friends. It really does help us out. And we're always listening for your feedback. You can always go to salestransformation.fm, drop us a voice DM there, and I will get back to you. Hey, you stuck around. That tells me you're serious about your own sales transformation. If you're tired of doing things the old way and want to get started in your journey with other people on the same path, head over to salescast.community and crush your numbers on your leaderboard. Yeah, it's free, salescast.community. Send me a DM with your best pitch and mention this ad, and I might even give you free access to our best templates.